Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. So glad you've joined us. We're uh, we're appreciative of all of you, and we we thank you, those of you who have found us on social media, and those of you that have visited our website from all over the world, 64 countries or so, and we are grateful. Uh, you can always find us at GoodLifeTelevision.org, and it's just been a great amazing run of guests we've had from all walks of life, all ages, all careers. We've had a little bit of everything. So um, you can find all those at goodlifetelevision.org. I'm really excited about my guest today. Uh, County supervisor here in Santa Barbara, California, where we're sitting. Uh, he's the chair of the county supervisors, actually, in addition to being the supervisor for the second district. Greg Hart is with me. Greg, welcome. Dean, thank you so much for having me today. It's really an honor to be with you. And I'm such a fan of the Turner Foundation and all the fabulous work that you're doing for our community and, and everywhere. Really a, a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. And and I was just reading about you. It's interesting that, that you, you, you really are a Santa Barbara guy. Um, you know, you, you, you grew up here in local schools, city college, UCSB. You've kind of have hit all the the Santa Barbara spots. Uh, talk about kind of your love for this district and what it was like to grow up here and, and that sort of thing. Well, I'm really lucky. Um, I'm actually adopted by my parents uh, and they brought me into an incredibly loving home and uh, took really good care of me and, and moved to Santa Barbara when I was really young. I moved to, to Lompoc when I was two and then the city of Santa Barbara when I was five. And, you know, I'll always be grateful to my parents for making those career choices to bring me here. And as you described, I grew up here in Santa Barbara. My father was the library director for the city and county of Santa Barbara. And my mom was an elementary school teacher. So books and learning and um, education were a really key part of my upbringing. And I, my father instilled a love of, of literature and books. And I continue that through my whole life. I'm a lifelong learner and really Santa Barbara is the perfect place to live. We have UCSB and Santa Barbara City College in Westmont. There's this tremendous confluence of, of intellect and, and creativity and art and, and science. And it's really an incredible community. I'm very fortunate to, to live here and to have had the opportunity to serve on the Santa Barbara City Council and now on the County Board of Supervisors. And with the exception yeah. of the that I've lived in Isla Vista when I was going to UCSB. I've lived um, since I was five years old in the second district in Santa Barbara County. So to have the opportunity to represent my neighbors on the board is really a unique privilege. That's amazing. Yeah, you, I was going to say public service has really been kind of part. Your mom, I know, was an elementary school teacher and, and, and you really have been, uh, you know, in kind of, I don't know, ingrained, but, but it's been a part of your family life it seems like what for those of for those that don't know and i and i know a little but what are the typical challenges that a county supervisor how do you i mean recently i know it's probably all covid all the time but but on a, in, a, in a normal year um, and we'll talk about covid in a second but but in a kind of what is, what is the portfolio the purview of, of, of a county supervisor typically well, it is really broad and uh, the county is a very large organization. We're, we're a subset of the state government. You know, the state of California uh, passes laws and tries to implement programs and counties 
are the vehicle for bringing those that state legislation and those state programs directly to local residents. So we um, are responsible for the criminal justice system, for social services, uh, for the agriculture policy, you know, everything that you could imagine that local governments do, the county has its hand on. And in addition to that, of course, we have all of the, the local planning uh, responsibilities. So subdivisions and permits and all of the, the planning effort that goes to keep Santa Barbara County a beautiful place to live, work, and recreate. And so it's a, it's a really uh, big job. The county budget is uh, over a billion dollars. We have more than 4,000 employees with, with the largest employer in Santa Barbara County. And um, it's, a, wow. it's a job with massive responsibility. Um, but as you described, I've, I've been, I've made a career and a, and a life out of public service. So I bring a lot of experience to this job. And, and as you said, um, it is COVID all the time right now. And that, that experience that I had as a planning commissioner in the city of Santa Barbara, city council member and governor um, Davis appointed me to the California Coastal Commission. I used every bit of that experience um, in this past year as we've tried to do the best we can um, with the COVID-19 pandemic. I bet. And, and that's my next question is about COVID, but I will say this about planning. People here, you know, permits and planning commission, they, maybe they kind of cringe a little. I'll tell you, I think uh, there can be that thought process until you've been somewhere where they don't have planning commissions. <laughs> until you've been, and if you've been to places or you know whether wherever it might be that that doesn't have that, and you see the results, you understand why we have planning commissions and and why that's thought through. So it's actually, I'm a fan. I mean, it, that's a great observation. And Santa Barbara County is not an accident. Um, the beauty and the, the majesty of this community is a product of generations of people who worked really hard through collaborative planning processes and, um, and just a vision to protect the natural beauty and have a built environment that's inspiring and, and is something special in itself. So we were very careful about what we approve and how we go through that process. And the result speaks for itself. There's sort of a synergy that comes from being a place where people want to travel and visit and ultimately live that attracts businesses and really creative um, entrepreneurs and successful people from all over the planet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just, it does seem like everybody wants to come here. I mean, and, and to, to visit at least. Let's talk about COVID-19 for a moment. And it was about this time last year, I guess, when, uh, you know, it landed on our shores. And, and I'd just love to have your perspective on kind of, you know, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Kind of take it from there in terms of COVID-19. Well, I know that this has touched everyone in really profound ways. Um, and as 2020 will be a year that we will never forget as long as we live to whatever age you are. Uh, my mother is going to be 90 years old in the middle of March. And last year, you know, we had to cancel her birthday because it was right um, on the verge of the state shutdown. And I knew that that was going to occur and didn't want to put her at risk. And I, at the time, never really imagined that, that her 90th birthday, a year away, would potentially be in jeopardy too for the same reason. So we, this has been difficult. People have lost their, li their livelihoods, their lives. Um, loved ones have been um, hurt financially and physically and emotionally. 
So we're all doing the best we can and trying to, to be resilient and weather this storm and get to the other side. Uh, I think that we're going to learn a lot of lessons, you know, in hindsight, but I know, you know, having sat where I have been um, as chair of the board of supervisors, that we've had to make very difficult decisions in real time without sufficient information. And I think, you know, ultimately folks are going to look back and say, you know, might've done this better and that differently. But um, I can tell you, everyone has been committed all along to protecting lives and trying to hang on to as much of the economy as we can and, and trying to be flexible and adaptable and resilient. And it, it really has been an incredible inspiration to me to see how all the community organizations have pivoted like the Turner Foundation and the Food Bank. And, and I could go on and list 50 different organizations that have kind of reinvented the way that they do business to accommodate this moment, keep people safe, and um, keep kids learning as best we can and keep businesses alive. And those things are all intention and, and, and it's not been easy, but I know our community takes this very seriously and has dug in hard and, and we're doing the best we possibly can. Yeah, well, and thank you for what you have done. And it's not, it's not going unnoticed and it is unprecedented. I mean, I, I don't, none of you were on the County Board of Supervisors in 1917. <laughs> so we, I mean, we, we haven't seen something like this before. I can remember distinctly early on in the pandemic when the public health folks came to the Board of Supervisors and they were looking ahead and they said, you know, this could get really serious in the summer, in the fall. There could, there could be multiple surges of the virus. And I thought at the time, wow, that's just unimaginable. You know, isn't, isn't the shutdown that we're going to do here in March and April going to really get this under control? And um, as it turns out, it's very difficult to get it and keep it under control. We were successful early on in the state of California with the shutdown order to keep things um, tamped down. But since the virus is invisible and asymptomatic people can spread it, um, it's been very hard to keep that sustained. And here we are, you know, really in the middle of the worst surge of the entire pandemic. And I can't help but reflect and looking back on the charts that showed how the virus spread and, uh, and the surges that they had back 100 years ago in 1917. And the pattern almost perfectly matches what we've experienced so far. So really, these things are extraordinarily difficult to manage because they require almost unanimous consent and support for the interventions. And as a country, we struggled a little bit logically about wearing masks. Shouldn't be a political issue. Shouldn't be, you know, a question mark. It should just be a, a, the reflexive response to do the right thing. And you know, what most people are, not everybody. That's going to be wrong. Yeah, it's. I mean, I just I'm amazed when I think about it, that we're really, we're trying to get an entire country to do all these things, you know, I mean, trying to get an entire country of 340 million people to stay six feet apart from each other, trying to, you know, it's, it's just, this is a massive uh, undertaking. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. I was talking with somebody who had lived, you know, through the depression and World War II and things that, you know, are enormously difficult. And I, I kind of thought to myself, well, those, those things seem more, more difficult than this. But um, she said, no, that this is much, much harder because in those situations you had camaraderie, you had togetherness, you had a way 
you know, to emotionally connect with people and that this situation is so much more difficult because what we're asking for people is to stay apart and to avoid that contact. And so she said, you know, one of the hardest things is when she gets sad, she can't even get a hug from her friends and relatives. And that I think sums it up so well that this, that's what this challenge is, is it's extraordinary. And, and we're, doing, we're doing really well considering how difficult this situation is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it has been, uh, and I think the hard, one of the hard parts has been, you know, we thought when we were in April and May that when we got here, we would be, you know, moving out of the woods. And then it was, you know, it's kind of felt a little like, you know, it keeps kind of getting, you know, pushed and nobody's fault. I mean, just, I mean, you know, but it has been, and that's, I think that's taken a toll. Can you, can you talk at all? And if you can, it's okay. But if possible about the vaccines in, in terms of what people can expect, how this is working, who do they talk to just kind of, if you could give a little bit of insight on that, it'd be wonderful. Yes, this is really an intense moment because I think there, there is hope finally now with the introduction of the vaccine and the availability of that, we can see light at the end of the tunnel. Before, as you described, you know, we had these subsequent waves where it was really trying to get a, a handle on a surge and keep the hospital capacity intact so that we could protect patients that needed that intensive medical care. But now we have the hope that with the vaccine as effective as the ones that have been developed, that if we can get enough people vaccinated, we can really end this and get to a point where we can go back to a normal life. But this transition moment is probably the hardest moment because the vaccines aren't available in the quantities that we need to vaccinate everybody as fast as they'd like. And so we're having this very difficult rationing process happen where we can't physically get enough vaccines in our county to give it to the people that need it the most. You know, obviously people who are older have the greatest uh, risk from contracting the virus in terms of their health outcomes. So we wanna make sure they can get the virus ahead of, of younger people. In addition to that, folks who are on the front lines in providing medical care who are treating COVID-19 patients have tremendous risks. So we need to inoculate them as well. And we just don't honestly have enough vaccines yet to accomplish both of those goals. There's about 30,000 frontline medical staff and first responders in Santa Barbara County. And there's another 30,000 people who are over the age of 75. We've only gotten about 40 or 50,000 vaccines in hand yet. So we can't even inoculate all of those people yet. And, and folks who are 65 to 75 are another 70,000 people. So we, we can't get to all the people that are the highest priority. And it's gonna take some time for the manufacturers to produce enough vaccine to accomplish that. And this, this is where it's really difficult for people because the system isn't set up to assure everybody a place in line 
because we don't know how many vaccines are coming with each subsequent um, delivery. It's, it's a black box at this point. I'm, I'm hopeful and confident that the new administration in Washington is gonna get a handle on that and be able to provide greater transparency to the state and local governments about the delivery schedules. Um, but right now, we don't know. We're just waiting to hear. And as soon as we get vaccines into our county, we're reaching out to schedule appointments and get those shots in arms as fast as we possibly can. And when you say that you got 50,000 of the vaccine, is this Pfizer or Moderna? It's a combination of both. So there's okay. different delivery. Is that one? Is that one? Don't, I mean, I know with the Pfizer, I think you have to have two shots. They all, so they, is that, are you talking about total 50,000? Yes, that's exactly right. So the, you know, you, you have to subtract the second vaccine um, right. population from that total. So, but we're not, we're not doing it that way. We're doing, you know, first in, first out. So if you, if we get a vaccine, you know, we either are giving it to somebody for the first time or we're giving it to somebody as their second dose when it's needed. We're not, we're not holding back vaccine to give the second dose to people. We're counting on the fact that the new supplies will arrive in time to give the second shot to the person who needs that second shot. So we're trying, we're trying to get as many people vaccinated as fast as possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, how long the, does the shipment come in? It's been coming about once a week, but it's been wildly different in quantity. You know, the initial um, deliveries were large and the subsequent deliveries have not been as large. Um, we're hoping that that's a supply chain bottleneck issue and that as the manufacturers are able to ramp up their production, that the deliveries will be larger. But, um, you know, they're doing, they're working as fast as possible in the manufacturing end of the, the system and the distribution to state and local governments is, is relatively quick too, but it's just physically limited by the fact that this is a new vaccine and they're, they're ramping up production and trying to get as much out as they possibly can, but it's not enough. You know, we, we can't, there are 450,000 people in Santa Barbara County and we wanna inoculate every one of them. And as you can see, we, we haven't even received 10% of what we need yet. Right. So let me just, Restate what I what I think I heard just for clarity purposes. So you're saying so we've, there's been fifty thousand come in. There's thirty thousand frontline health workers, which I think everyone is, would agree need to be the the priority. There's thirty thousand seventy five and over. There's another seventy thousand of sixty five to seventy five. Is that correct? Exactly right. Yes. So, so, the, so then what, how, where does it go from there? Does it just go down by age from there? The governor is, has changed the um, original allocation formula. There was a very complex system that was initially established that was gonna do um, essential workers as they were defined by the state of California and then was gonna work through the age um, categories. But now the system has been shifted to focus on age. And so what I think you're gonna see is you're gonna see the 75 and up and then moving down to the 65 and up. But there are also concerns that are valid and legitimate that don't have a good answer about what about folks who have, um, that are more vulnerable 
at a younger age, you know, somebody that has a pre-existing medical condition, perhaps particularly with their lungs. How is that person going to be accommodated in this system? And at this point, we don't know the answers to those questions. The state of California is making those determinations in its consultation with the Centers for Disease Control at the federal level. And then we're reacting to that new direction from the state of California. Um, and it's, it's happening very quickly and changing very quickly. Last night, I learned um, through the news that the governor was proposing to change the distribution system to use the large um, health insurance operations, Kaiser Permanente and Blue Shield, as direct recipients of the vaccination that they would then be responsible for dis distributing in communities. So it, it is a very dynamic situation and um, I can't even predict where we're going to end up. Wow. So this is, <laughs> has this just been your life for the last 10 months? I mean, the, the, I mean, you guys must be just having the, the, the volume of details and logistical planning must just be overwhelming. It's, it's astounding. And, and you're exactly right. It, it's been 24 seven, you know, no vacations, no breaks, just nonstop. And, you know, the folks in public health are working 16 hour days. Um, there just aren't enough people and there's not enough time to do everything that needs to be done. And, and people have questions all the time and are, you know, legitimately and understandably really concerned. And this is, you know, their personal health, the, the, the concerns of their loved ones. You know, they want answers to questions that we haven't often had the bright, the best answers for We're we're, yeah. um, you know, we're treating, we're doing it as, as we can, as fast as we can at every level from testing to contact tracing to now the vaccination process. And there is no playbook. Nobody, nobody set up a, this is how you do this a hundred years ago. <laughs> and it's been right. since we're, we're all doing it on the fly. And, and that's, again, why I am more inspired by the ability of the community to flex and to adapt and to be resilient to this moment and fill in the gaps. Government can't do um, nearly enough to solve all these problems. So we rely on the partnerships we have with the nonprofit community, private businesses, churches, you know, fraternal organizations, everybody's pitching in and helping people who need help. And um, when, when this is all said and done, I think we're all going to be proud of the response that we did as a community and as a country uh, to really challenging time. Yeah, we, we should have a parade or something. I don't know. We have a lot of parades around here. That would be uh, nice. Yeah, we should. Yeah. And you guys should be on a float, I think, with all the nurses and doctors and good grief. Last last question on COVID. We only have a few minutes left. But if so should people, in terms of questions about the vaccine, should they just go to their doctor or is there a number? If they say, where am I in line or how do I get in line or I should be in line or whatever their thing might be. I think folks should probably do all of the above because, you know, it is changing so quickly. New opportunities to get vaccinated, you know, can appear because the structure is changing. So, yes, number one, I would talk directly to your medical provider. You know, they, they may very well be now um, part of the distribution system. In addition to that, publichealthsbc.org has a really good website that has lots of information. There are frequently asked questions. There's, there's a wealth and a very deep uh, source of information at the public health 
sbc.org. That's the Public Health Santa Barbara County. That's what those initials are for, um, .org. But that's, that's a great resource. And if you don't have access to a computer, you can call just the 211 information line and you'll get a live person who can answer your questions and bring you to the best resources that, that you're looking for. That's wonderful. So publichealthsbc.org or call 211 for information. This exactly. is a resilient community, isn't it? I mean, it I, really is. and, you know, I was floods of the fire for the, the, the COVID pandemic, you know, at the breadth and depth of all the nonprofits that, that serve people. And this moment, you know, people have just reinvented their mission to accomplish goals and objectives that are needed now and to get people help. Um, the Food Bank of Santa Barbara County is a great example. You know, I, they are doing 10 times what they did last year um, on the fly because the need is there. And, you know, people are donating and helping financially and assisting them, you know, in unique ways. There are partnerships that didn't exist. Um, and, and that's just one example. I could go through every service that anybody could imagine needing and there's a story to tell just like that. Beautiful. Well, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I think the parade's a good idea. I think we should stick with that. <laughs> I know we all want something normal and uh, looking need forward, something. forward to something like that is, is a really good idea because, you know, things are probably going to get a little harder or, or stay hard for a while before they get demonstrably better. And everybody yeah. just, there is no answer other than to be patient and to, you know, be kind to others Take care of yourself, take care of your physical health, make sure you get exercise and, and take the stress down out of your life. You know, don't watch the news every minute. And if you are getting your news, be super careful about information coming from social media. That is not a good source of information. I really encourage people to go directly to the publichealthsbc.org website because that's part of the anxiety I think people are, are feeling is that they're getting these crazy messages from social media that aren't true and, um, and, and they create anxiety and stress and worry. And we, wanna, we want people to, to know the truth and to be able to act on good information and going straight to the source is the best way to do that. Yeah, yeah. there's no way out but through, as they say. That's right. Supervisor Hart, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. And we're rooting for you. And we're looking forward to getting to the other side. Well, Dean, thank you so much. And again, thanks to the Turner Foundation for all the wonderful work you do in our community. You're one of the examples that I would cite about pivoting and, and providing services to your, to your clients in new ways that really makes a difference in their lives. And, and I'm just so proud of all of us working together. Appreciate it. Supervisor Greg Hart, we'll see you next time. Thank you.